The church was studying this book of Colossians, and in Colossians uh, chapter 1, Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. He also wrote Ephesians and Philemon from the same scenario, same background. Colossae is 120 miles inland from Ephesus. While Paul is in Ephesus for three years, a man named Epaphras heard the gospel, went back to his hometown, told others about Jesus. A church was birthed. And so he's going now back to Rome, Epaphras the pastor, to talk to Paul and to give Paul a good report about the church, but also to raise some concerns. And in the joy of the good report and in answering some of his concerns, we have this wonderful little book called Colossians, written from a Roman prison by the Apostle Paul. And so Epaphras is a man who is diligent. He's a good soldier for Christ. Paul says in chapter 4 that he's always struggling for you in prayer that you stand strong. So Epaphras is praying, being instructed, encouraging Paul, but also receiving encouragement from Paul to take it back to the church. And he's given Paul this word of report. He says, you know, this, Paul, Paul writes and he says, we always thank God, verse 3, chapter 1, when we pray for you since we've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints which comes from the hope that you have in heaven, which comes from the fact that you're gospel-centered. And because of your faith and your love and your hope and your gospel-centeredness, this word is bearing fruit and growing among you, verse 6. And it says, And Epaphras has also told us of your love in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's rejoicing over what he's heard. And then he breaks out into this prayer that we began last week. He has a particular prayer. And this is what he says in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom being the knowledge of God and understanding is the application of that knowledge. It's just, it's just a beautiful prayer. And I said last week, this is a particular prayer, and it's a great paradigm for us to pray for one another. Because if we're filled with spiritual wisdom or the knowledge of God, then it leads to a life of understanding, and it answers most of the major questions of life. And then he says this. I want you to do this so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Stop. Wow. Regular people, small town called Colossae, workers, day laborers. And Paul says, my prayer is that that as you're filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding, you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. I want that. I want that for you. Fully pleasing unto the Lord. Wow. Then you back up and say, well, how how do we live a life that's worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him? He has three components to this prayer. Three components. It's a glorious prayer. The first component is this. Bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Secondly, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. 
And thirdly, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So just going to walk through that. It's a very basic, glorious prayer. First of all, he says this. He says, I want you to bear fruit in every good work as you increase in the knowledge of God. See, bearing fruit in every good work as you get to know God more and more by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so, so I, I want to bear fruit. I want you to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. I want that. And the question is, you back up and you said, how do you bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit? The answer is, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you look at this text and say, okay, Paul, how do we bear fruit in every good work? And he answers it, as you increase in the knowledge of God. See, you bear fruit as you increase in understanding the character and, and the attributes and the wonder of God found in the apostolic message. He says in chapter 1, verse 18, makes this glorious statement. He talks about the supremacy of Christ. He says that and Christ is the head of the body, his church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So Paul says Christ should be preeminent, had the highest place in our thinking. And see, the, the church at Ephesus said, well, really, it's okay to believe in Christ, but it's really about worshiping angels and having ecstatic visions and having mysterious incantations poured into your life. It's all about mystery. Paul, Paul says, let me tell you the real mystery. Let me tell you the glorious mystery. Chapter 2, verse 2, he says, he says, I pray your hearts will be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. That's an intentional use of a word. His mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you say, Paul said, I'll, I'll tell you what, the real, the real mystery is Jesus, eternal God, head of the church, which is his body. Christ in you, the hope of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you say, wow. How, how do we know this Christ in whom we're hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? What do we do? He answers it in chapter 3, verse 16, where he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, so how do you know this preeminent Christ who is the fount of all wisdom and knowledge? You know it through the Word of God. As you teach and as you admonish or correct, see the Word of God teaches and corrects. And we do this by singing psalms and hymns and spirit. You sing it, you think it, you breathe it, you, you think about the preeminence and the glory and the greatness of Christ. And, and so I bear fruit in every good work as I increase in the knowledge of God. There are men named William Tyndale. William Tyndale died in 1536. He was 42 years of age. William Tyndale was raised in England, and he 
was a priest, and he studied the Bible, and he had a burning passion to get the Bible into the hands of the people of England, translated into English. And the church of that day had so overburdened the Bible with rules and regulations, they came to the point of saying that, that regular people cannot understand the Bible. You've got to have a priest or a council of bishops to, to interpret it for them because they'll just turn it inside out and upside down. And, and Tyndale said, that's balderdash. So the Word of God was given for men and women and boys and girls. And he came to see that you're saved by faith alone, through the work of Christ alone. And he was having a disputation, a discussion, an open forum with another man who was a, a, a Catholic priest, like he had been formerly. And, and the Catholic priest said, you, you, you err in this. You, you err in that you think the Bible should be given to every man. The Bible is not the ultimate source of authority for the church. Councils are the ultimate source of authority. And the Pope is the ultimate source of authority. And Tyndale said, you're wrong. He said, the Bible is such a beautiful book. It's so easily understood in its major themes. That, that, that it's my prayer. And there's a famous statement. It's my prayer that if God gives me life, I will translate the Bible into English and a young boy plowing behind an ox today will one day know more about the character and the glory of God than you do. And he worked to translate the Bible. And he wouldn't recant of his or repent of his sayings. And he was seized. And so when he was 42 years of age, the authorities tied him to a stake and they strangled him to death. And with his last breath, he cried this out, O living God, open the eyes of the King of England to the glory of Christ. And he died. Then they burnt his body, William Tyndale. And two years later, a man named Henry VIII opened the church to the gospel of grace through political machinations, but he did. And in a mere 15 years, something occurred called the Puritan century. From 1550 to 15 to 1660, uh, there was a great movement of the Holy Spirit in the country of England. The Word. I believe the Word of God builds churches, supports the ministry of local churches, builds marriages, builds families, builds individuals. It carries us, it pushes us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther, one of my heroes, kind of contemporary of William Tyndale. Martin Luther was a monk who studied and read the Bible and came, became convinced that, 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 that you're saved by grace through faith alone. It's just a beautiful story. But, but Luther was in a, a big discussion one time, and, and he said, somebody said, you're not being submissive to the councils and the Pope. And, and, and Luther said, listen, Pope's err, err, and councils err, and people err, and families err, but God's Word is never in error. We need the Scripture. And then two years later, he was at something called the, the, the Diet of Leipzig with a guy named Johann Eck, a great authority, great scholar of his day. And Johann Eck was saying that, that really the church is the final authority for the believer and, and the councils and the popes. And, and Luther said, he said, no. He said, I, I disagree with that. And then he said this, and the, and the whole world shattered. He said, no Christian believer can be forced to believe an article of faith that is beyond the teaching of Holy Scripture, close quote. And he just crashed. And X said, you're nothing but a dastardly bohemian 
Saying he's like a guy named John Huss, who 102 years before had been burnt at the stake because he believed the Bible. And I didn't tell the other group this. This is just for you guys. So John Huss has been burned at the stake, and he said, you can kill me today, but within 100 years, a voice will arise, and you will not be able to silence that voice. And 102 years later, Luther started the Reformation, and it's still going on. That's why we're here. I get excited about this stuff. I tell you, just, it's so much fun. It's just so good. So what I'm saying is that the Word of God creates and builds and sustains churches and families. And, and, and the other day I was riding down the road, and you know, there, there are signs outside of some churches, and they'll put messages on with blocks, block letters. And there's probably more heresy in church signs than anything else in America. Just, just sometimes, it's, sometimes you go, oh my gosh, did they really say that? I mean, it's just bad stuff. And sometimes it's okay. I, I was reading the sports yesterday. There's a few, if you didn't know, there were a few football games on yesterday. There was a game in Columbus between Ohio State and Michigan, and they showed a sign of a church, you know, a Methodist church. And it said in Columbus, Ohio, seek first the kingdom of God, then beat Michigan. So, you know, they're, 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 they're walking in step with their people. But so I, I passed this church sign the other day, and, and it said this. And I know what they're saying, I think, but, I mean, God bless them. God judges your hearts, not your heads. I'm going, I don't know what that means. I mean, I think I know what that means. I mean, yeah, but we are an entity. We're not parceled out. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as I thought about it, I thought, that is the Colossian heresy. The Colossian heresy said, it makes no difference what you believe. Jesus is fine. Whatever is fine. What really counts is the worship of angels and having, having these ecstatic utterances or ecstatic visions and all this stuff and all this. But you just layer it up. So it, you really can't define religion. You can't define your faith. It's about a personal, subjective experience. That was the Colossian heresy. And that walks among us today. And what Paul says here, if, if you're going to be fully pleasing to God, church, listen, fully pleasing to God, Number one, you bear fruit in every good work as you grow in the knowledge of God, the Scripture, who points to Jesus. And so I ask, is, is God's Word growing me up? Is it a servant knowledge that impacts my emotions and my actions and my character? My emotions, my actions, my character. Does, does God's Word forming and pushing me? I pray that for you. Pray that for me. Secondly, it says this. Being strengthened, I love this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, I thought, why is Paul being so redundant? He could have easily said, being strengthened for all endurance and patience. We don't say, being strengthened with all endurance by his glorious might for all endurance and patience. It's amazing to me. What he's saying is, I want you to understand you are strengthened by the power of the indwelling Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. You're not only strengthened, you're strengthened with all power. You're not only strengthened with all power, you're strengthened with his glorious might. Boom! You go, wow! And so I, I thought, you read that and said, God doesn't want us to just survive, but to thrive. 
God doesn't want us just to hang in there, but to represent him to the nations. God doesn't want us just to barely get by and limp into heaven. He wants us to be full of passion and energy and strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It's just like hammer blows one after the other. It's amazing to me. So, so I don't know what storms you're facing, what issues you're facing. But listen, God is able. Here's a quote from a guy named Sam Storms in the worship guide from a book on Colossians. This is what he says. There is no addiction. God's power cannot break. I went with a, a friend to an AA meeting this week. It was really, really interesting. And you know that great honesty, great open, great brokenness. Um, hi, my name is fill in the blank. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. Whatever. And then, then they, they start talking, there, and then they talk about a higher power, and I'm going, and I know they're just trying, they're, but I thought, you know, the higher power, his name is Jesus. You know, he's the only God. See, there's no addiction God's power cannot break. There's, there's no sin God's power cannot defeat. There's no task to which we are called that God's power cannot fulfill. There's no fruit we're called to bear that God's power cannot produce. No rebellious child God's power cannot restore. There's no broken marriage God's power cannot reconcile. No physical desire God's power cannot heal. That's why Paul calls it majestic power. And I'm, I'm telling you, I know there are a lot of people here who have rebellious children that push you every day. But God's called you to love them. Or a parent that breaks your heart. I mean, really, one of the best things about Thanksgiving is the Sunday after Thanksgiving because the people leave. No, really. We all have those people in our family where we're going, good grief. But God's called you to love them. In fact, one more bit. I know there are people here with marriages that are suffering. No one here knows it but you. God can restore your marriage. Don't listen to the siren call of the world that says, give up, throw in the towel, seek your happiness. That's junk. I want God's power to be manifest in my life. I'm, I'm just, I, and then he says this. He, said, he says, for all endurance and patience. These little, this is what these little words mean. For all endurance means Hanging in there in difficult circumstances, and patience means hanging in there with difficult people. How's that for being pragmatic? He says, God has given you incredible strength and power to hang in there with difficult situations and difficult people, and sometimes we have both. We always have one or the other. And so God wants to change us by the Holy Spirit. I love the gospel account. It's in Luke and Mark where Jesus Early in his ministry, he goes into the temple, 
And he asks the attendant for the scroll from the book of Isaiah, and he reads the promise from Isaiah that says, the, 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 the year of the Lord is now here. The Holy Spirit has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to give sight to the blind, to give healing to the lame, to declare God's favor to the prisoner. And he rolls the scroll up, gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down and he says, the scripture is now fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the one. And what he's saying is, let the healing begin. And then he gives the Holy Spirit to the church. And he rises from the dead and ascends to heaven. And he's praying for the church. And he, he didn't die on the cross, rise from the dead, ascend to heaven, and pray so that we could be just get along people. I want to be God's person. I want to intervene in the difficult areas of my life where I am disobedient or half-hearted or uncaring. What is it with you? Do you realize you've been strengthened with all power according to his glorious might? Let's think of Ephesians, this passage where Paul prays that they would understand the love of God. And then he says this, and it's just unbelievable. He says, he says, Chapter 3, verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the knowledge and the fullness of God. Listen, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or we think according to the power that works within us. The Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is working within you right now to pull and push and prod and hug and comfort and correct, but to always get you in the place of blessing, always get you in the place of joy. And the third thing he says here very quickly, he says, joy for giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Joyfully giving thanks. Colossians 1, he says this. And you, so how, how, how has he qualified us? How, God, what do you mean you've qualified us? You've made us qualified. How, how have you qualified? Listen. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He's writing to a group of people that were raised in a pagan world that was filled with crassness and immorality and just junk as the normative practice. Many of you have been raised in Christian homes where you heard the gospel and you got close to the oven, but you didn't get burnt. Praise God. But this, this is a wild group. No Christian influencer. This is first generation coming out of a pagan, ungodly, unbridled, go-for-it lifestyle. And Paul says, yeah, you were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But now he's reconciled you by his physical body. Christ died on the cross for your sins. There are people here today who say, this, don't quite understand this. The gospel message is this, that God so loved the world that he became a baby. 
and he lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross for our sins. And whoever believes in Jesus will never spend eternity away from the Lord in hell, but will have eternal life. That's it. Christ died on the cross for my sin. What I can never do, he did for me. He bore in his body the judgment that should fall upon me. He says here, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, but now he has reconciled you in his body of flesh. Paul says, don't worry about the angels. What about a real body of real flesh and blood that really was crucified and really rose from the dead and really was touched and really ascended to heaven? It's a fleshly body. And he helps with that. He said, you know, we joyfully give thanks to the Father who's qualified us. I mean, just, every day, brothers and sisters, we should get up and we should say, thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, that you give me a future and a hope. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to quote the old rough fisherman who denied Jesus, a guy named Peter, that you've given me an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will never fade away. It's reserved in heaven for me. Thank you. Thank you. And see, Thanksgiving should be something that comes out of our lives. Thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the hope. This is a beautiful prayer to pray for one another. Oh, God, may we be fully pleasing to you. Me, you, as we bear fruit in every good work, increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, and with joy giving thanks to the Father. Endure, be joyful, grow, may God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day and for the clear teaching of the Bible that's so understandable. So we, we want to be your people, and we want your power to be manifest in our lives as we love and care for others and, and, and represent you before them. So come now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.